achieve it. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. You've dreamed of building a family, but the journey hasn't been easy. I'm Dr. Laura Shaheen, a reproductive endocrinologist helping people build families every day. On our new podcast, Baby or Bust, we'll be learning from both reproductive experts and people who have faced challenges just like yours. Join us every week for Baby or Bust, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us so you never miss an episode. Today on the Zabecast, when it comes to NFL contracts, it's time to maybe rethink how top quarterbacks get paid. This versus everyone else. Aaron Rodgers has some thoughts on that, and we'll explore. Drew Olson of the Big 920 joins me. He talks about his sad T-shirts for jerseys Little League career growing up in Milwaukee. All that plus Elon Musk caught up in the rock fight. You've got 45 minutes burning a hole in your pocket, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Tuesday, July 17, 2018. Thank you for joining me and thank you for the download. How about that home run derby? Every year it comes up and guys like me say, ah, this thing, look, there's nobody in it. I've seen it all before, yada, yada, yada. And then you're like, wow, look at that. The old line of chicks dig the long ball remains true to this day. In fact, not only do chicks dig the long ball, dudes dig the long ball. And that was quite a display. I'll remember Bryce Harper came to town, one of his first sort of unofficial acts or moments in town, when he finally got called up to the big league club. Bryce Harper, on some random Sunday uh, prior to the season beginning, ends up strolling down Constitution Avenue and then walked into a softball game being played by civilians right there on the National Mall. Bryce Harper. He was 18 years old, I guess. 18, 19 years old at the time. Amazing. This this home run derby might have been his last great act here in Washington because, you know, sitting six games back for the division, uh, five and a half back of a playoff spot, or maybe six back, six and a half, six, something like that, as we start the push for the second half. Really, it's not the second half because the All-Star game was later, a week later than normal, and the season began a week earlier. Don't ask me why. Didn't research it. Nice job researching again. Shut up. Uh, there's really there's more like a third of the season left, and the Nats have got to get it in the gear to get make the playoffs, and especially to win the division because they've got to jump two teams at about six, six and a half. Whatever the case, uh, this might be the last great act by Bryce Harper in town. And unfortunately, we'd, we'd all love it here as Nats fans for it to be a incredible walk-off home run in a big, meaningful game in the NLCS or in the World Series, but that has not happened, and it may not happen. In fact, it's looking pretty damn grim. He's hitting 
215 or something like that for the first chunk of the season, not half, but you know, up until now. And his power numbers are good. You can see, if you watched it, that he can hit the living shit out of the ball. His dad is great as well. Yes, that was his father pitching. And as the best tweet of the night, we're going to end today's podcast by talking about how stupid and evil Twitter can be. But every now and then, Twitter is funny and enjoyable. Somebody tweeted, I think it was Busted Coverage on Twitter, said, looks like Bryce Harper's dad never misses shave head day, arms and shoulders day, and groom beard day. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Quite a specimen, Bryce Harper's dad is. And so the two teamed up, and uh, you know, when it looked it, when it looked grimmest, grimmest. When it looked the dark, when the hour looked the darkest for Bryce Harper in the home run derby, he was down what six home runs, I believe, with about thirty and change to go. He ends up just he, he kind of does this motion like, okay, let's go, hurry up, hurry up, and he just starts mashing him. He starts chopping down redwoods like Paul freaking Bunyan, one after another after another. It was awesome. <laughs> I didn't care for his bandana and no hat. I didn't care for his big wave of hair, but I, I'm just hair jealous. I admit that freely. God, I'd love to be able to have hair I could do whatever I want with, including weird, dumb things like a big fop of hair like he has. I prefer guys to wear baseball caps, not bandanas, even though it was a District of Columbia banner. Good old District of Columbia. The District of Columbia. You know, I should probably explain that soundbite while we're here. The District of Columbia. The District of Columbia. This was a city councilman who has since passed away. I'll have to ask Tom Lovero. He remembers who this was. A city councilman at a press conference in which the city had just secured the rights to a Mike Tyson fight in the District of Columbia or good old D.C. And this was a big deal because we don't normally host fights, almost ever. We don't have the gambling infrastructure like Vegas or Atlantic City, and it's just, you know, we're not... We've had fights before, but seldom are they big ones. We're a good boxing town, but whatever. Of course, we were getting Mike Tyson at the very tail end of his career where he was fighting jokes and tomato cans and the Peter McNeelys of the world where you're like, what is what is he doing? What's going on? And so we get this fight. We get finally land the fight, and there was a press conference, and this particular councilman was so excited to talk about Mike Tyson coming to fight in the District of Columbia, he mis- he stumbled and mispronounced it, the District of Columbia. The District of Columbia. The District of Columbia. The District of so it's sort of a thing we say here in D.C. all the time, the District of Columbia. But yeah, this I, I, even though he wore the District of Kamumbly, the District of Kamumbly. <laughs> a bandana and pointed to it and talked about his love of the fans, you know, it could be the last great moment. He might, you know, piddle along for the final third of the season, hitting still around 220 or something like that. His power numbers might be okay. He might even get hurt. This team might limp home six, seven, eight games out of first place and out of the playoffs, and it's off into free agency for Bryce Harper. And this might have been the last great moment. I hope and pray not, because I like having him. Stylistically, he's not totally my cup of tea. A little too serious, a little too, bro, that's a, that's a clown question kind of guy. The hair, the bandana, the, all that stuff, but damn it, Great ball player, and I'd like to keep him. It's just money. 
It's just money learner family. Just pay him, right? Who cares? Pay the money. Let's keep this guy. But that could have been it last night. All right, Aaron Rodgers wants to play until he's 40 years old, and he'd like to do it with the Packers. But how is that going to be possible? Rodgers is 34. He'll hit 35 in December. He talked to Peter King for his debut column of Football Morning in America, and he said the fall. I think that's on his new platform, which is NBC and NBC Sports. Said Rodgers to King, I'd love to play to 40. I just think that number means a lot. Obviously, Tom, Tom, meaning Brady, is kind of rewriting the book. Brett had a good season when he turned 40. My goal is to be able to move like I do or close to it and still be able to do that at 40. Just because nobody's been able to do that and still move around the same, Steve Young's career was cut short in his late 30s. Elway the same. He didn't really move the same when he was younger. So to be able to move the same way at 38, 39, 40 would be cool. That's my aim. First of all, Rogers' sights may be set a bit low, depending on how the rules change in the next five years. If the NFL keeps on protecting and bubble wrapping these quarterbacks with more and more rules of can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, the new number for QBs might be 45 by the time he gets to age 40. Who knows? Then it came up to the contract. There are two years left on his current deal, and he is woefully underpaid, writes Mike Florio on ProFootballTalk.com. Rogers seems to acknowledge off-season reports that he's looking for a unique contract structure, possibly something that ties his pay to a percentage of the salary cap. The team sounds hopeful something can be done soon, but that has been their mantra all off-season. Said Rogers, quote, it's only been on my mind because people have been writing and talking about it a lot. There have been many conversations about it. I think that there's some merit to looking into what to where you do a non-traditional contractual agreement. Oh, by the way, they've talked about giving Rodgers opt-outs if he's not happy with how the team is going. Interesting. If anybody at this point is going to be able to do something like that, I think there needs to be a conversation about it. I never said anything about tying the contract to the cap, however. I just think there's ways to do deals where it can still be competitive and the team is happy about it, but still have some freedom. Quote-unquote Aaron Rodgers. Of course, they talk about it in the story about you know how his close friend Jordy Nelson was cut. And, uh, Rogers said, look, nobody's above the team. They can trade Brett Favre. They can cut Jordy Nelson. They can not re-sign Charles Woodson, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but that's, see, Woodson and Peppers, they're defensive players. And Favre, that was a whole different deal entirely. This is a guy that you worked with. The Jordy Nelson thing, I still think, was a fucking mistake. Big time mistake. It's the it's the green eye shades and the penny pinchers going, nah, nah, the production's down, he's not as good. If it was my team, I would have gone to 12 and said, listen, 87's going to cost us $7.8 million this year against the cap. It's a little pricey for his production, but you're the guy who throws to him. You're the guy who works with him. You're the guy that understands how important is this secret sauce to what you do. I'll hang up and listen offline. See, that's what I would have done if I was the owner. And I would have said, you know what, Aaron? We'll carry him at that number if you tell us that you think it's worth it. We'll do it. We'll we'll find other places to scrimp. Now, there's a danger in that, obviously, because quarterbacks always want their boys with them, and they're sometimes delusional about, well, has Jordy Nelson lost a step? Can he really separate? Can he beat guys one-on-one? Can he win routes when they need to be won? 
based on his diminishing returns. So there's an emotional attachment that is sometimes difficult to separate and dangerous to listen to when it comes to quarterbacks. But in that particular instance, I would have said, okay. The real answer to this is we will never, ever know what Aaron Rodgers is really worth on the open market unless a couple things were to happen. One, you would have to have no tags in the NFL, meaning no franchise tag, no transition tag, etc. So you'd have to have total and true free agency. That's number one. Number two, Rodgers would have to work on short deals, if not, if not two-year deals, one-year deals. And he would have to be open to saying, listen, I love it here in Green Bay, but I want to win a championship, and I may go elsewhere to do so. Nothing against Green Bay. I'm just saying I'm going to play this year, and we'll see what next year looks like. Keep open the possibility of, like, I don't owe it to you guys, or my legacy is not going to be affected if I hop around to a couple of teams. And then you'd see, even in a capped league like the NFL is, you would then see just how valuable Brett Favre, or excuse me, Brett Favre, you would see just how much Aaron Rodgers is worth. How much of the cap would a team be willing to eat up? The current high watermark for quarterbacks is somewhere close to 30, if I'm not mistaken. I know... um, uh, Kirk Cousins soaked up $24 million on that on a long-term deal, multi-year deal. I don't know why Aaron Rodgers – if I had a football team that needed a quarterback, I'd pay $35 million on a one-year deal for Aaron Rodgers. I think it'd be worth it. Now, one you'd want more than one year because you may not win it in one year, but still, if you're confident that he wanted to be with you, I think $35 million is probably the right number for the best of the best of the best quarterbacks even with the salary cap. And don't at me, as the kids say, about you couldn't pay for the rest of your team. The fuck I couldn't. Watch, I'll go get rookies, and I'll go get first and second year guys, and I'll play fourth, fifth, sixth round picks who are making about a million dollars a piece. Trust me. If you got Bruce Springsteen, sure you'd like the E Street Band behind him, but if you had a bunch of contract musicians playing the same songs, you're not going to be too broken up over who's playing the tambourine. And with that, let's go to our friend Drew Olson today. I actually, at Stately Olson Manor, we rented a dumpster and I threw out a whole bunch of shit. Did you really? So that was the great purge. Yes, you I had the rented, urge to purge. That is awesome. You rented a dumpster. Yeah, garage and basement mostly, and I filled that fucking thing up too, man. Wow! Isn't it amazing all the stuff that'll get jammed into the gills and the nooks and the crannies and the folds of one's house it is it's sick you don't even have to have a big house and it's like where'd all this shit come from it's insane did you feel bad throwing out perfectly usable stuff that theoretically could get donated um uh, maybe a couple of soccer balls (laughs) that's pretty much it (laughs) the rest was pure garbage well you know there's always stuff that could be repurposed and things but come on and i I did take part of the thing part of the purge was about six bags of clothes that were donated okay clothes are easy clothes are easy because you know where to take them i'm talking about oddball stuff that you're like god i just feel like i shouldn't throw this away no no a plastic soccer goal That was, you know, used once or twice, and you're like, do I want to throw this away or not? Yeah, I guess ideally you could try to sell it on Facebook Marketplace. 
but there's just no fucking way. Wait, it's there's a Facebook marketplace? Oh, it's amazing. What are they trying better to than, be like eBay? It's better than Craigslist. Yeah, they are. It's, really? It's a, is oh, it yeah. better? Th- so it's better than Craigslist, better than eBay? I think so. I think it is. I mean, because it's mostly people that are local and it makes it easy. You don't have the national scope, but a lot of people, uh, a lot of people sell stuff like that. But then people can see who you really are and the shit you're really selling. They can, yeah. And I guess if you're gonna, you know, same as anything, it's hey, I'll meet you at a gas station and we'll do the exchange, or I'll meet you at the police station and we'll do the exchange. Unless you got something really big that you want to move. Okay. All right, so you, you got a lot of stuff out, which is good. I got a lot of stuff out, and it just it just wake it woke me up to the fact that I got a lot more shit to dig out. From. So even more stuff you got to get rid of. Yes. Okay, I'm about to go move. By the way, we're up and running here on the Zabecast. Uh, Drew Olson joins us now. A little uh, round of applause. All right, Monday, just, baby. Figure we just go with the rolling open there because that was a good topic. So I'm gonna be, have to move out of my office at work because we're moving because we've been sold, and I've got a fair amount. Of Chachkikana. Yes. Figurines. Things that were gifted to me. Their worth is virtually nil. Part of me thinks I should only take a couple of things, almost like the building is on fire. Pretend like the building's on fire, grab yeah. whatever I can, and then leave the rest and go, just have it. What do you think? I, I think you're absolutely onto something, but they don't they have no value to you, but to the average Joe. The little tchotchkes. And here's part of the thing. I did baseball for all those years, covered the Brewers 12 years, and covered the Brewers when they weren't very good. So everywhere I went, whatever city it was, whether it was Miami or back in the day Toronto when they were in the American League, in both leagues I went to cities and the marketing department said, oh, shit, we got the Brewers on a Tuesday night. We better give something away. No. And so they passed it out in the press box, and I stupidly put it into my bag. And so I've you got kept all these promotional beach items. Beach towels, checkbook covers, <laughs> bobbleheads, everything that they could possibly give away. I, wow. I And I hoarded it. I'm like, I brought it home, threw it in a bin, and now I have all this crap. Speaking of hoarding in baseball, do you did you ever read the DiMaggio autobiography? Yes. Okay. I didn't yeah. read it. This was a famous point of contention between me and my radio partner, Andy Poland. Poland loves to read books, had the DiMaggio book, gave it to me and said, you should read this. It's really good. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. And like most things, when it comes to books and reading, I'm like, I'm not fucking reading this thing. There's internet to read. What are, what are, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> TLDR. TLDR. Never read the book. And then Andy started gizzering me like, so you got my uh, DiMaggio book? And I'm like, I'm going to work on it. Like, you know, it's not going anywhere, Andy. Don't worry. So it went on for a year, two years. You know, where's the DiMaggio book? The one excerpt, though, he told me about, or I think I read about, was how Joe DiMaggio, the great Joe DiMaggio, icon, legend, dated Marilyn fucking Monroe, right? Yep. He would, once he was retired, go to charity golf tournaments. And he would request an entire second set of freebies, including shirts in the same size as him for what he said was a friend, air quotes. And when he died, they found a mountain of charity golf tournament shit that Joe DiMaggio had hoarded, Drew, in his basement. He had to double up. Yeah, that's the the book. Uh, Richard Ben Kramer had that little nugget. Doubled up on everything. Doubled up. He was like, I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. And unfortunately, so many giveaway shirts and hats are pure shit. Yes. Because they don't care the quality. They're just like, 
All right, they're playing in a charity tournament. Give them a hat, give them a shirt, something like that. Yeah. Now, some tournaments have good swag, but... I try to make my bloody horns one of those tournaments. Ding, ding, ding. But I'll be honest, even the hats I've given away have not exactly lived up to what I would like quality-wise, but you're always battling this price point of, okay... How much does the swag really matter to people who want to play? Is it really attracting them back? How much do they need? Do they wear it? Do they not wear it? This year we've got uh, we got we got logoed beer glasses, beer mugs, hmm. and all you got to do is hit the green, Drew, on any of the par threes. You'd think that'd be easy, but they're oh. killer par threes from the back tees. But the bottom line is, yeah. you put it on the green, you get a mug. So Oof. it makes it a little bit fun, a little exciting. We'll see if anyone goes four for four with their mugs. Let me uh, let me drive you down a side street. Have you ever done one of those beat the pro things at a yes. radio station outing where you sit at a par three I, all day and try I, to hit the green, and then they can use your ball? I was the guy. You've been that guy, right? I've been that guy, and I'm not a great golfer, but I'm definitely not a great golfer when I hit one shot every 25 minutes and stand around and get stiffer than a wedding cock. Yeah! <laughs> about you but my peenie just went oh. yes exactly and it's it's awful like the first couple are great but then oh i mean you have to be a good Early golfer days. to be able to hit that you know to be in no rhythm same club same shot but just 25 minutes apart or 20 minutes apart was ridiculous early days at the bob and brian open uh over there at uh oh what was the 36th? silver spring silver spring yeah that's one of the places i did it i think you you did it as well i think i did yeah i did that one time i did it with mark metcalf the mm-hmm. actor who famously played Niedermeyer. Depending in... on your age, he's either Niedermeyer, the guy from Buffy, or the maestro. Exactly. He's all three of those <laughs> he's things. He's all three of those things. He's a great guy, too. Just very down-to-earth and yeah. you know, lives in Milwaukee? Uh, he's moved now, yeah. Oh, he has moved? He's okay. out of Milwaukee. Yeah. But he used to live in Milwaukee. Yep. Even though he was Mr. Hollywood. Not that he was a huge star, but you know, these were not insignificant parts he had. He had a nice little acting career there. So it was me and Niedermeyer sitting there on one hole as I just kept hitting shot after shot, and we were glad-handing. And then they realized, well, that's not a great use of my availability. So then they would auction me off to play with a foursome, and I did that for a number of years. Now I just drive around with Bob and uh, act like a hooligan and try yeah. to meet everybody on the golf there course. There you go. That's the way to do it. So Okay, yeah. so that was the side street. What? Uh, what, what give me my GPS where, to get us back out where here. Where do – okay, wait, what were, what we, were we, uh, we talking about? We were talking about getting rid of shit. Yeah, uh, dumpster. dumpster. Oh, freebies, freebies, giveaways, yes. now, freebies, and yes, yes, yes. Okay, which spins right. us into what's happening today and tomorrow. It's the All Star Game. Yes, baseball. Ding, 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 ding. And I think they get pretty good swag. Not necessarily for the media covering it, but I think the players get pretty good swag. And do you think players keep all that shit? I think most of them just give it away. Like uh, these players, when they get a, a shoe contract or something, they get a certain amount depending on who you are. Whether it's five thousand or ten thousand a year to from Nike or Adidas or whoever your shoe company is, and a lot of that is just every gift they have to give to their family, their wife, their Pookie and Ray Ray, or whoever takes care of their dog walking and car washing and stuff. (laughs) Right, clubhouse guys, clubbies. That's how they pay guys is, is in that free swag. So it's. But it is funny. One of one of the more memorable touchstone moments I had covering the baseball beat. There was a guy named Cal Eldred that pitched for the Brewers. Now I think he's on Cardinals TV. Um, but he, I was sitting with him at uh, spring training in, at his locker, and we were the only ones in the clubhouse. And a clubby came with a big box for him, and it was all kind. Of, a Nike shipment had come for him, and it was all kinds of free stuff: t-shirts, workout shirts, uh, his his cleats for the season, his uh, running shoes, and stuff. And he's like, "How about this? 
I'm making all kinds of money now, and I get this stuff for free. When I was in the minor leagues, I couldn't get any of this stuff. <laughs> when I needed it and was broke, I couldn't get it. Now I could buy a whole shoe store, yeah. and I get everything sent to me for free. There is a certain amount of FOMO that is triggered inside of all of us when it comes to swag. The fear of missing out. Yes. That, that, that sense of, hey, Billy is getting something, and Timmy, me, is not getting anything. Yep. You feel like you're cheated even though you're like, I don't want that. Like that is a shitty plastic tumbler that I have 20 of at home already. It's got some logo on it. I don't even like, why do I want that? Because exactly. I got to have it. I got to have it, Jerry. It's FOMO. So the, the home run derby was last night as people listened to yes. this uh, Zabecast. So the winner was, insert name here. <laughs> It's not the most star-studded field they have ever put out there. Bryce Harper was maybe the biggest name. Yeah, Kyle Schwarber is well known as part of the you know uh, the Cubs, the World Champion Cubs. I don't I, is, is Schwarber still good at hitting home runs after his knee got all fucked he up a couple been, years yeah, ago? He's, okay, he's still, he can still launch. And our own Jesus Aguilar of the Brewers here yes. in Milwaukee is was the and then they got. I'm, I'm looking. I just Google search real quick the field and uh, MLB.com and they've got the bracket. And I hate when they do this. I'm a big first name guy because there's too much assuming that goes on that everybody yeah. knows who is who. And this is true in baseball. It's true in golf when they list like leaderboards online and they go uh, S. Kim. Who the fuck is S. Kim? Give me the full name. Well, we couldn't fit it in, you know. Well, then rearrange the chart. Like I'm a big stickler of any chart of names should have first and last names. Yeah. And so this bracket here I'm looking at, it just has Aguilar, Hoskins, oh. Bregman, Schwarber, the one Harper, I'm at has Freeman, first names in the Muncie, box. and Baez. I know, but not all of them do. Not all of them do, but you're yeah. right. So you need, you need another. So Max Muncie is a rookie with the Dodgers, right? Yep. All right, pretty good player. Uh, Javi Baez, I know he can pop it, but it's kind of odd for a middle infielder to be in the home run derby. I agree. So there's that. Schwarber's a big whomper. Bregman can kill it. Altuve would have been great in there as one of the guys. Uh, and then Hoskins, Reese Hoskins, R-H-Y-S. He sounds like a Wall Street guy. And he's Reese all, Hoskins. Yes, yeah, he was well, a rookie. Hopkins with Reese Hoskins. Yes, Hopkins. exactly. Was, oh, yeah. All right. So that's the field that, that did it last night. And again... We're taping early, so maybe it was a great home run derby. Might have been. But Hoskins, Schwarber, and Muncie are not in the game. They're just there for the dingers. Yeah. They weren't in the they're not in the on the squad. But now on Friday I talked to Andy Poland about the ninety three home run derby, which was uh in Camden Yards and was in the afternoon. And I went to it with my sister and paid forty bucks for a ticket each, me and her. Like mm-hmm. that was it. They're like six hundred bucks these tickets for this home run derby. Can you believe that? Yeah. They're, yeah, they're more they're, than they're the really game gouged. itself. They really gouge. And I included a clip that I found online, a video clip of that show. And not only do you get to see Griffey hit the warehouse and Juan Gonzalez hit missiles on the third facade and left, look at the star power. Cecil Fielder, Albert Bell, Juan Gonzalez, Ken Griffey Jr. David Justice, Mike Piazza, Barry Bonds. Yep. Are you kidding me? Quite the galaxy. It's it's become that like, was the home run derby in '93. And oh, and oh, oh, and who was that? I'm looking right now at the video. Is that Andre Dawson for the Cubs? 
Oh, no, the Mets. Mets has somebody here. Bobby Bonilla. Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla. Man. Yeah. That is all stake right there. Fielder yeah. Bell against... Oh, you're violating the first name thing again, Zabe. Cecil Fielder, not Prince's son. Cecil Fielder, Albert Bell, mm-hmm. Juan Gonzalez, Ken Griffey Jr., David Justice, Mike Piazza, uh, uh, Barry, Bobby Bonilla, and Barry Bonds. Yep. Holy fucking shit. We've had... Then all the way up to when McGuire was in it and put on that show in Boston in, what, 99? Yes. Um, that was epic... And he what would didn't be win. The, he didn't be, win, but yeah. then he uh, put on a show. But it's become like the, the you're you're having misty watercolor memories, Zabe, of when the dunk contest was Dominique against Jordan. Okay, before and, you and accuse then the star me, guys stopped playing in it, and now it's before like, you hmm. accuse me of misty watercolor memories, which I like that by the way. <laughs> it, it's fact, true. It's true. It's fact. Well, like you tell me. Okay, I, tell me who would the equivalent be today. Of that lineup of star power in '93, it's go it's ahead. Almost impossible because there are baseball doesn't have national stars like they did when Junior was wearing his hat backwards and everybody had a poster on the wall. No, come on. It's Mike Trout. Is okay. Mike Trout. It'd be player. Trout, Judge, yeah. Machado, Harper, Stanton. Yeah. Uh, uh, it would be probably uh, Altuve. Right. Uh, probably. Yeah. But we don't have that. No. So what's going times, on? A lot of times they go by how guys are playing right now, too. They want the hot, like the guys that are leading the home run race. Okay, but I mean, and I think they, I think they're basing it somewhat on like performance this year, right? I got to look at who the home run leaders are. Uh, J.D. Martinez, Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge. Aguilar, Machado, Harper, Stanton, Betts. I'm violating my own first name rule. Mookie Betts, yeah. Nolan Arenado, Max Muncy, Joey See, Gallo, and- Nelson Cruz, Edwin Encarnacion, Paul Goldschmidt, Chris Davis, Trevor Story, Ozzy Albies. You're right. Some of these guys that are up there, who the fuck is Ozzy Albies? <laughs> exactly. Plays for Atlanta. Good player. Has for 20 Atlanta, home runs. Yeah, he's a good player. Good player. But I, So you're saying there's not stars I, anymore. I'm saying there aren't stars anymore like there used to be. That's part of baseball's national marketing problem that we talk about a lot, that they don't. It's become so regionalized. I'll watch my own team 150 was, nights a year, but I won't watch anybody else. But were Piazza and Albert Bell and Bond stars because they were marketed, or were they stars just because they were stars? They were stars because baseball was bigger then. Baseball, you know, you had it, – it meant more. It's a sad sort of thing to hear you say. It kind of is. It's just it's <laughs> the way the game was has bigger. become. Baseball it was bigger. More. Than, well, the stars were bigger. They, they've been surpassed. It's it's just it's stunning to me that again it's, it's but the old, but isn't the overall indicators of baseball the economic indicators attendance franchise yes, values ratings values everything's tele- up except for I think Q rating and public awareness and uh, it's the old Mike Trout thing people get pissed when you say people aren't realizing how fucking great Mike Trout is right now we realize and it's it. true it's like you realize it but you don't watch him and you don't uh, as I say he could walk into any office building in my air- coverage area and walk in and no one would know who he is they would think he was the UPS guy yeah. But I think it was back in the day, like in 93, guys were clamoring to get into that home run derby. They wanted in on it. They were like, oh, this is yes. great. Now there's like, eh, I'm too cool for that I'm shit. I'm too cool. I'll sit or, on the side and laugh and, and yeah, 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 yeah. cell or, phone video. Or I did it last year. Yeah. I did yeah. it last year, so I'm now excused but from doing it. The analogy is the dunk contest, though. When's the last time LeBron was in a dunk contest? Uh, uh, never. Exactly. He's never done it. Never. And he's the face of the league, right? Bitch. And so you get a bunch of guys that oh, Zach Levine's in it. Oh, who? Huh? <laughs> 
Right, exactly. And they're great dunkers, and it's like, okay, but they're bit guys that are there just for the party, but the main guys in the game are sitting on the sideline watching, and that's what it's come to. All that said, Drew, one of the great disappointments in my brief and unillustrious sporting career is that I never hit a home run in Little League Baseball. Not once did I put one over the fence where I could take my time rounding the bases. I don't know that I ever played a Little League game with a fence that was reachable. I don't really because we used to just play on yeah the, our fields were there were there was no fence you'd hit it to infinity and you might circle the bases but it was never over the wall interesting yeah that's the way so there was my... no fences or you played on or you played softball on big, diamonds well you played on a yeah you played on basically softball diamonds but you also had a, if, if there was fences it was like playing at you know a big league park when you're a little league kid we, we never had the miniature shrunken fields back then what was your I want to hear your little league career go who'd you play for. What oh, position see, did you play? Th- this was I didn't we didn't have back then it was like you got a t-shirt <laughs> and it was it we didn't have uniforms name sponsors it was like you know team five against team seven or something like that we barely really? had nicknames yeah it was like and your shirt was the color and it had the I grew up in Menominee Falls it had the Menominee Falls rec department logo on it and the color of the shirt indicated how old you were and basically what league you were in yellow shirts green shirts red okay. shirts hold right? on a second you didn't play proper Little League brand no, we didn't baseball. have Little League brand baseball when I was growing uh, up. See, that's something I think not everyone is totally aware of unless you've Yeah, got this kids. was Rec League and it wasn't Little League. Back okay. It didn't exist for in, in my area. How is that possible? It's possible. Little man. League baseball did not exist in your no, area. No, it was like Rec. It was it was the Rec department had it. It didn't we didn't have a Okay. I I'm not calling bullshit on you, Drew, but I yeah. am gonna lean on our vast listening audience that uh, of the same age in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Southeast Wisconsin, uh, tell us: Did was there in fact little league baseball in and around where Drew grew up? In where was it? Menominee there Falls. Been, there may have been. Was like, there little other, league baseball that he just missed in different municipalities? Yeah. Could you have played little league baseball? Or yeah, I no? did play puddles and dewdrops, but it wasn't. It was. Uh, man, it was a different time. You played youth baseball. Was, I played youth baseball. It okay. was never. Well, that's a, is like the organized and what it that's is. That's a bit of a shame because I was blessed with playing McLean Little League Baseball where we had a uh, park with four fields. Two of them had lights. They had dugouts, even though they didn't step down, but they were still dugouts you went in. And a snack bar, Drew. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so you lived bar. the Bad News Bears experience. Oh, it was idyllic, and it you know it's it San was Fernando set- Valley. Spend a day at the park, at the Little League Park. You'd watch other teams play. Yeah, I, I really should go try to fly a drone over the parks and, and look at it. And the fields were nicely maintained. They all had fences. Mm-hmm. They had scoreboards with lights. Or no, they, they were not light-up scoreboards, but they were scoreboards where if somebody got the plastic numbers, they could hang the plastic numbers oh, yeah. in the slots that in was the my, scoreboard. That was my job as a kid, keeping score yeah. of men's softball, hanging numbers. And that's where we went to play all of our games, and it was it was great. It was, was this, beautiful. Was this a Fairfax was County idyllic. Association or what? It was McLean Little League Baseball, okay. and it was run like its own little nonprofit, you know, a little LLC kind of thing, where they yeah. have board of supervisors, and you know, cost a certain amount of money. And the treasurer and... was skimming to go gamble at the casino. <laughs> Gee, yeah. <laughs> oh wait, that's happening now. <laughs> right. I'm sure there was shenanigans going on, and you know, somebody uh, taking a cut from the concession stands. Yeah, to fuel some booze. But it was and great. Hooker infused yeah. trips, and and each team would go get a sponsorship from a local business. So we were Mort's. <laughs> we were Mort's Bootery, a oh, shoe awesome. store. 
owned by, I'm sure, some kindly old Jewish fella, Mort. Mort. And I don't know, I guess he did some boot repair in the back, but they sold sneakers at Mort's, and my mom would buy us sneakers, Pumas, when I was a kid at Mort's Bootery, because I think we got some kind of a discount. There was Wayne Insulation. Okay. Another company that sponsored, and they would get the uniforms, and they would say the name of the sponsor as the name of the team. That's pretty awesome. Bergman's Laundry was another one. Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald, That was was Mort's brother that owned Bergman's Laundry. (laughs) Fitzgerald Properties. I know some little leagues will actually use major league logos and marks. Oh, yeah. As their, you know, because it's easy to get gear for that stuff. That's right, yeah. But yeah, that was that was the shit, man. That was so fun. I love that so much. One of the reasons I tapped out on baseball, and I was okay, and never hit a home run, but I was a pretty decent pitcher. Uh, had a good curveball. Uh, you'll you'll be glad to know there, uh, Drew, oh, because man. because all we did as kids was practice throwing curveballs with tennis balls, a which was absolutely right. Absolutely terrible for your young little noodle arm as a kid to try to throw a curveball, period. But to do it with a ball that has no stitches on it, yeah, like a, like a, a tennis ball, it's stupid. But we worked on it. It was like, okay, hold your fingers this way and then snap it off like that. I had a good curve. I had a good Uncle Charlie. I, I could throw it both for a strike, backdoor Charlie, and I could throw it for a swing and miss as well. I love it. That's all I had, That's though. That's fantastic. Yeah, That's good. all you had. That's all I had. I, I, had so. good, I had good control, but too good control so that when we played a team with kids that could hit, like Wayne Insulation, boy, they hit the shit out of me. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> oh. I, I didn't have overpowering stuff, but I threw strikes. Oh, and so yeah. that's the so thing in Little League. Yeah. yeah. And, and I wasn't like savvy enough to be a you. junior uh, Greg Maddox going, all right, I'm going to work the inside black. You. I'm going to work him inside away. Go high, go low, go in, go out. It was just like throw a strike, for God's sake. So Generally, hit in, it. in Little League, in, in the big leagues, hey, Put the ball over, throw strikes, let the defense take care of you, right? In Little League, that's not a sound strategy because the more balls in play, the more errors, and the more errors, the more runs, and then you mix in a walk or two and a pass ball, and it's game on, and it's a 10-run inning. Yes, uh, uh, although only against the better teams. Against the worst teams, strikes are good Well, yeah, because those kids can't hit, guys out, but and then, you don't want to walk them. Exactly. Yeah, but if you're playing good teams, as you move up the ladder, and that's one of the things that I find interesting every year, that probably the only thing I like about the Little League World Series being on TV, like every round now, yeah, I was going to talk Here's about that Here's a qualifier next. from Eastern Pennsylvania District 5 uh, is that when they ask kids, like, who's your favorite player? You get a sample of who the big guys are. And if they say, if a bunch of guys say Alex Bregman, you're like, oh, man, the kids are the kids like that Alex Bregman. <laughs> wow. Instead of going to say Ozzie Albies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, back then it was like McGuire or Sosa or, you know, sure. was, or, or Bonds and Griffey. And now it's you know, it's more diverse now. It's more Drew, I feel like you were Drilled cheated down. a little bit out of what could have been an idyllic I was, childhood thing that you had to wear a stupid T-shirt. I, I don't your, think your I uniforms were a T-shirt from the Parks and Rec. I think the first and I there was the first no fences. baseball uniform I put on was in high school when I made the high school team as a nice. freshman. I played. That was the nice. first time I put on a full uniform. I yeah, I was going to say we were playing in jeans. Literally, we were oh, playing geez. in jeans. Jeans are the worst. I would yeah. tap out. Uh, I tapped out of baseball basically after I was done with Little League. I played one year of Babe Ruth on the Big Diamond. And not only did the jump in dimensions frustrate me immensely, because you know how that is. Yeah. You go you go from 45 feet pitching to 60 feet, six inches. Boom. You go from how many feet? Is it uh, 60 feet to the bases to, to 90, 90 feet? Yep. And it's like, you're running, you're running. Am I there yet at first? And just making the throws. <laughs> 
and you're oh. still you're still a 13 year old, probably prepubescent kid, with gangly arms, and you got to push through that 13 and 14 year old phase to then be able to play on a full diamond. And I just I didn't have the taste for it, and we didn't have that idyllic park that yeah. you would go to every day. It was like go to this high school field, go to that high school field, and it just didn't feel fun anymore. And I said, I'm out. Uh, uh, I quit. I quit, and my parents a, let me quit. How did my parents story. let me quit? They should have never let me quit. They should have. They should have been like uh, the great Santini and said, "Oh no, you're not quitting. Keep going. Yeah, you keep going. We don't quit this shit. Yeah. You keep playing, man. You know how much money we spent for baseball bats and hitting lessons and sports psychology. They didn't pay for any of that stuff. No, Just you didn't quit. have a bat warmer. Bat warmer. Cool. They sell bat warmers, man. I, I just found this out. That Shut. If you got a $300 titanium bat and you're playing in cold weather climates, as we find, experience here in Wisconsin in the spring and fall, they actually have like bat warmers. A warmer? Yeah. Well, now. <laughs> I've, I've just heard about that the other day. And I, wow. I imagine they're not cheap. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, okay. Enough baseball talk. Well, hey, be... wait, before we, I want to pour one out, though, for the guys. All right, let's pour one out. My, my ink-stained wretches, the, the, the boys who cover it, because the day yep. of the home runs over there, it is. There's yep. the, the bourbon. Let's pour one out for the homies. The baseball writers, the old grizzled beat guys, the home run derby is the longest freaking day on the baseball calendar. It is a nightmare. Because, because... If, you're, if you're a beat guy and you, tr- you cover your team, let's say you were covering Team X, and then you fly into the city where the chances are you're flying in in the morning, but the, you, you fly into the city, maybe even the night before where the game is. So they're hitting DC. And then on Monday morning, you have a manager's press conference breakfast to cover where they reveal like the lineups and stuff. And there's interviews and right. The, the league presidents would talk and sure. It's, sure. It's dog and pony show. And then you get like an hour and then they, they heard first the American league or the host city uh, into a ballroom at a hotel and you go and interview, and you have like an hour, hour and a half of interviews with. They put everybody at a table, and you can interview everybody, and that's where you'll see. And you have to interview. You know, you have to keep an eye on your guys that are there. But then nationally, everybody's there. You have to go find the big stories, whatever it is. One year it's steroids. One year it's pace of play. This year it might be. What do you think of the shift? Everybody's asking the questions that they can use for stories for the rest of the summer. It's your one crack at getting all these guys sitting there where you can ask them questions, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that, that you go through that with both leagues, and that is draining. And then you have to go. You know, you go through both leagues of that, and then you go to the ballpark, and they're starting the workouts, and you interview people, and then you got to start cranking on the stories from what you got earlier in the day, and then there's the home run derby. By the time of the end of the home run derby, you're looking at about a 15, 18-hour day of just nonstop uh, just reporter stuff, transcribing and just hardcore. You barely even look up at the derby. The guys that are, that are watching it barely even look up. And if you have a guy in the derby, it's almost bad because then you got to follow what he does and file a story on that. <laughs> You're cranking out an avalanche of copy on a day that should be like the most relaxing day. It is the worst you day. Know what? Anybody who's covered baseball, it's the worst day to be a baseball writer is the fucking day before the All-Star game. True. You know what? The I worst can hear, day. I can hear the world's tiniest violin. Yeah, everyone playing, get to go there Playing free. the world's saddest melody. Yeah. So, in other words, you had to do your reporting work because you're a baseball reporter. Yeah, but I'm just saying, <laughs> of all the other days, and you throw travel into the mix, if you're flying, you got to oh, get up yeah. at 5 in the morning, get there. Like People have to go yeah, get up early and make a, a, a presentation, and i got to drive out to where the office is for the client that I'm going to meet and stuff. Yeah, but that, it's, I'm just telling you, it sounds like a great assignment, and it's not. Well, that's why you're an ex-sports writer. 
Exactly. Now you just get to sit in your ass in the studio but, like me and then run your mouth. Exactly. <laughs> Says All Star Derby sucks. They got to get better players in there. Much easier being a pundit. But I just tell you, man, I, I know haven't been there because I'll talk to guys who cover it. And, and fewer and fewer people are covering it now. But what you get is what you get a lot of times then because of deadlines. When the home run derby's over and they bring somebody in the interview room, if they show that live on MLB Network, yeah, you get the guy who won it and like four people in a, in the auditorium, and I call them the geek media. Like if in DC, it'll be like Barry's basement blog who covers the Nationals in Eddie's every game, and they're so excited and because this there. is the biggest day of their and, life. And all the major guys from all the newspapers, especially the East Coast guys, are cranking on deadline in the press box, and they're watching the feed of it, trying to punch in some quotes into their story. And you got the geeks asking bad questions or no questions, and then they just leave. And it happens after the finals. It happens sometimes after the Super Bowl. Uh, deadline is a killer. And people think the media are idiots anyway, but it really makes the media look bad when you got the Z team asking questions the and the world team. is watching. Wow. It's bad, man. So the geek media, you don't like them either. Uh, geek media? God bless them. Now I am one. <laughs> I've become funny, everything I used to detest. Funny how that is. All right, real quick, Aaron Rodgers says he wants to play till 40, Drew, and he would prefer it to be with the Packers if possible. Your thoughts? I, of course he wants to play till he's 40. He wants to be Brady. He, he's gotten into you know nutrition and stuff. He's become a fanatic. Cut cheese out. Guy yeah. plays in Wisconsin. He cut cheese out of yes. his diet. Well, he says he's lactose intolerant, so eh, he discovered that. But he still likes an In-N-Out burger as an indulgence. But he's he's got this like real strict diet, and he does yoga and all the all the mobility stuff and flexibility okay. stuff and posture. He's real big on posture. Uh, oh. Yeah, of course. He wants to play till he's 40. The thing is, will it be with Green Bay? Probably, but then I, you got to bet the under on that, don't you? Because I wouldn't want to bet it. I, I would bet the under. Because... I, how can you let that guy walk out the door? Of course, oh. Favre blew Favre his way left. out the door. <laughs> Joe, Favre was an Joe asshole. Montana didn't finish. Jerry Rice didn't finish with his team. Like they, they, There's a whole lot of superstars that play for other teams on their way out. Favre was an asshole. Rodgers is a weirdo. I think you can keep the weirdo. Favre was just hell-bent on, he thought for some reason he was not respected up there enough. I don't that's know why. Right. Well, they put that's... up with all his pill pop and his booze and everything else, and they're yeah. like excuse-making, backbone-crushing picks, and it's like, oh, and you still don't like us. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, go to Minnesota. Have fun, dick. And now now Roger's just a weird dude, but he'll, he'll play until he's 40 probably, probably. He'll probably stay in Green Bay the whole time. Sure, okay. but then the production and injuries, I mean, it's it's a business, man. Okay, here we go. You know it, you love it. You can't get enough of it. Yeah. FTG. Yeet. I'm not a good guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. All right, Drew, who draws your ire this week in the world of sports or beyond? I got ire this week for one. Ron Metaworld World Peace Artest. Oh, of the big three. I saw yeah. him playing the other day. Well, you Why? Saw him, what do you got against Ron Artest? You saw him punting a ball and getting ejected from a game in the opening minutes. I did not. Well, that's what he did. Well, and that's just marketing, man. I didn't. That's I, just to draw attention to people to go, hey, there's a league playing. It's not very good. And that's okay. my problem. First of all, Ron Artest, just go away. Meta world peace on his jersey. Meta world peace. A footnote in history, you just go back and he will forever be stained by the Malice, Malice in the, the palace. palace. Absolutely. And so he should have just gone away into the dustbin of, oh, remember that guy? Remember how horrible that night was? And 
thankfully it was uh, it was the outlier. It wasn't a regular occurrence of players fighting fans <laughs> at an event. Exactly. Thankfully, it's not a regular occurrence in our country. But the idea to draw attention to this league that I don't care about and would never watch seniors basketball. That's what it is. And he him punting a ball and getting ejected and doing all the knuckleheaded things that he used to do in the NBA. Um, you think it was away. a work? You think it was a? I haven't seen it yet. You think it was a total work to just get attention? I, I just, or was no, it just? No, or was it? Or was it genuine crazy? It's it's meta being meta. It's Ron Artest being Ron Artest, and the, they employ him in this league. And the, the yeah. idea that the sporting world's supposed to pay attention to him or this league—that's what he's all about—is the attention. And I don't want to give it to him except to say, "Fuck that guy." Check swing there. I was like, is he going to say it or not? I thought you were going to hit the, the sounder. Oh, I don't have a sounder. Oh, I thought we I had I need a, to get a fuck, fuck that, that guy, guy sounder. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll my, fix it in post, but uh, not really. <laughs> my my runner-up to fuck that guy is the USGA that forced 79-year-old Joanne Carner to ditch her 20-year-old wedges at the start of the U.S. Women's Senior Open because they were non-conforming with their grooves. She actually had to go to the pro shop. To get new wedges. Because oh. they're like, mm, oh, these are from 1982, so uh, they don't work. We've outlawed these grooves. Hey, she's 79 USGA. Why don't you cut her some slack? That's the runner-up. Absolutely one of the biggest fuck that guys of the year is to Joe Horrigan of the Pro Football Hall of Fame who decided, oh, we're not even going to say T.O.'s name at this ceremony. We're going to mail him his jacket the day after we give it out to the guys at our ceremony. Way to be a petty little bitch, Joe Horrigan. It's not about you. It's not about the hall. It's about the player and his contribution to the game. Grow the fuck up to Joe Horrigan. Fuck that guy! All right, Drew, you can listen to Drew Stylings on the Big 920 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the iHeartRadio app. Yes. On Twitter, follow Drew at? Drew Olson, MKE. All right, brother. Good to talk to you as always. As always, my man. Peace out. See you Monday. All right, we'll end with this. Elon Musk has gotten into it in the aftermath of the Thai cave soccer team rescue and it is getting not only ugly it's getting fucking crazy right now so here's what happened after the boys were rescued people started doing interviews including a rescuer who is one of the experts at one of the absolute experts in the cave system that the boys were trapped in British spelunker Vernon Unsworth spoke in an interview and said that Elon Musk and his goofy uh, mini submarine that he delivered to the rescue was nothing more than a PR stunt and added that he can stick his submarine where it hurts, quote unquote. That's Vernon Unsworth, a British spelunker and cave diver. He also said, look, this thing would not have fit around the sharp turns in the cave and the narrow openings. And, you know, this this guy, Musk, is just a publicity whore. Well, Musk did not like that. And so Musk then went on a Twitter rampage in which he called this guy, Vernon Unsworth, a pedo. Short for 
pedophile. He said, sorry, pedo guy, you really did ask for it. Musk wrote, clarifying in a follow-up tweet that he meant the Brit expat diver was that pedo. Generally confused, some Twitter followers guessed that Musk was dubiously linking Unsworth, who has been mapping the Tham Luang caves for a decade with Thailand's epidemic of child sex tourism. Musk then wrote late Sunday morning about that, bet you a signed dollar it's true on Twitter. This was just a few hours before Elon Musk deleted his tweets. Too late to avoid yet another deluge of public criticism. Let's stop for a second. Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a billionaire who is single-handedly rewriting the notion of space travel and space exploration and a bunch of other technologies as we speak. Yes, there's troubles at Tesla. Yes, he's trying to figure out how to make a profit with his electric car company. But the cars themselves are, are wonders. My brother has one. My golf buddy Hatch has one, even though he won't pay five bucks a month for uncommercialed uh, Pandora. <laughs> but yeah, Elon Musk, this guy, okay, this guy's up here. See this? I'm putting him up here in this orbit. This orbit of awesome, this orbit of respectability. And yet, what did Elon Musk fall victim to? He fell victim to the un, the absolutely almost impossible to resist urge of getting into a 280 character rock fight with people he does not even know. Wow. This is just as this has to be studied. This phenomenon that he would take to Twitter and just go on a rant. You know, this guy was criticizing Elon Musk. He's a he's a publicity whore. That stupid tin can he brought over is a piece of shit. It would have never worked. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Elon Musk in another world without this pile of rocks, two hundred and eighty characters at a time at his fingertips, would have otherwise gone. Hmm. Okay. Well. All right. Fine. Yeah, if that's what you think, no big deal. I, I, I got to move on. I got meetings. I got stuff. I got to worry about this rocket I'm developing. Uh, I got a Tesla board meeting. I ain't got time for this shit. So the guy in Thailand didn't like my my mini sub. Sorry. I said, here, I'll invent it. Maybe you'll use it. No big deal. All right. Well, maybe it didn't work. No big deal. No, no. With Twitter, it is a rock fight. And you're there with your pile of rocks. And people have the ability to hit you right in the corner of the eye where it stings and it hurts, and you're thinking, did I just, is my eye fucked up now for life? Can I see how this thing? Uh, It sounds like, Zabe, you once got hit in the eye with a rock. Oh, yeah, of course. As a kid, I did. At least once, maybe more. Because at some point, as a kid, you're like, hey, uh, what do we got here? Rocks. Who wants to throw them at each other? Duh. And then it's all fun and games until somebody picks up a rock that's a little bit too big or catches you, bam! Right in the corner of the eye. So now Elon Musk, after deleting these tweets, like, yeah, boy, I shouldn't have gone that far to call this guy a pedo, even though I don't know him. Now uh, this guy, Unsworth, is thinking about suing. And not only is he thinking about suing, but if he files in the UK, the libel laws are much more generous to the complainant than they are in the States. And that his chances of winning a decision in his regard and maybe a whole lot of money 
is actually better than it you would think. Now, I don't know if it's going to get to that. I would guess not. Does he really want to go down this route? Who knows? But that's the craziness that is Twitter. It makes me want to get off of it every single day. And maybe I overstate its usefulness to tweet out links to my content on Zabe.com. Or, hey, there's a new... Maybe I think that, well, if I tweet this, it's going to boost my traffic. If I wasn't on Twitter, would you find me? Would other people find me? How would I go about doing it? I'd love to get out of this. I would still have a Twitter account that's just completely anonymous that I use for a news feed and maybe send out some snarky bullshit just because I want to scratch that itch. But actually being a person on there, on the internet, a real person in the public eye like I am to a tiny, tiny degree, and then Elon Musk way up here subjecting yourself to that is just crazy. Nothing good can come of it. By the way, this guy Vernon Unsworth, he predicted... He was such an expert on these caves that when the boys got lost, they said, well, where do you think they might be? And he pretty much pinned it down to within 200 meters in a miles-long system of caves. And Elon Musk was talking shit with him on Twitter from a half a world away. Craziness. That'll do it for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends and hit up whatever message board you want about how great the Zabecast is. Leave a positive review and rating. Download, subscribe at all the major podcast outlets, iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. And always remember, the difference between comedy and tragedy is comedy is when it happens to somebody else. Tragedy is when it happens to you or somebody you love. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.